You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Occasion yesterday to be uh, in attendance in a beautiful wedding, and uh, really great to have Kara and Lonnie here in our first service, uh, beginning their lives together, and the very next day, you know, being in uh, the Lord's presence here in worship along with us, and we certainly enjoyed that, and it's great to have Kara's mom and dad and uh, son here with us today, and through other family members. Um, just was a beautiful time together, and Kara was a beautiful bride, Lonnie was a really handsome groom, but my eyes were drawn over and over to Fred Lagan because he had a tie and a jacket on. <laughs> you know, I've been going through a lot of change in my life since Fred has joined us. These are exciting times. These are fun times for staff, for Garrett and I and uh, Fred, as we have gotten to know each other. And this guy just never runs out of ideas, you know. But it's so much fun working with him, except when he says, Dave, I want you to preach, and this is kind of the format I want you to do. This is different for me, so I'm really kind of uncomfortable in doing this today. But, you know, I've been in this church, been a member of this church for 15, 16 years now. And uh, I was ordained before I got here as an elder, and I was asked to be an elder in 15 years ago. And then... May of 2000, or a couple of months before that actually, we started a conversation about expanding staff in this church. And I'm not going to mention a lot of name dropping today, but Dave Heilman was another idea guy. And he was always looking to see how can we get Dave Faith involved in real ministry in a position with our fellowship. Well, to begin my story, I have to go back a little bit further. I have to go back... To, I was born and raised in uh, Camden, New Jersey, which is right across the river from Philadelphia. Uh, Camden's main claim to fame now is it's the most violent city in America um, per capita. So that's a, that's a prayer request. But uh, during my life, uh, the Lord, I was raised in a Christian home, great Christian parents. Most of my relatives have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm really a blessed individual. Uh, my wife um, married me th- over 33 years ago, just a beautiful and intelligent woman, um, and she also has a lot of sympathy. You know, I got a beautiful son who's also intelligent. Uh, he's not adopted. He's just got all his mother's genes. I'm a real blessed individual. When I was growing up in church, I was actively involved Matter of fact, even I can remember when I was in junior high, I was teaching smaller children. Probably not the best thing that we want to do today, but that began an interest for me for teaching others about the Word of God. The Lord blessed me and used me in different churches. He blessed me in different vocations. And I was told a number of times growing up and through my young adulthood that I should be a minister I always had in the back of my mind that the Lord wanted to use me in ministry, but I didn't know specifically how that was going to happen. And in different vocations that I had, I used to take inventory for 7-Eleven stores. My wife and I 
franchise the 7-Eleven. I managed a hardware store. I delivered U.S. mail. I was a dispatcher as well for the U.S. mail. I worked for Aramark College of William & Mary as a supervisor back at a house down at the campus center on College Corner. But I knew that the Lord was preparing me and allowing me to cultivate my life in a way that He would continue to orchestrate. I just didn't know where that was going to lead. Well, Dave Heilman decided that he wanted to go half-time with our church and continue to preach, but he was becoming more and more actively involved with the Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship, which, church, which plants new Christian churches in the Commonwealth as well as provides strengthening services for our churches. And that's basically how I broke into the ministry here. He says, we can do this, but we're going to tie this together with a building program of renovation and extension. And those were real exciting times to come on board. And I said, okay, so how do I figure out in all this? And he says, well, we're going to have you be the associate. And what we want you to do is minister to the care needs of this fellowship and coordinate that. Basically visit people in the hospital, shut-ins, talk with people, make visits, and talk about needs. And the necessary part. After 29 years in customer service and business in the administration to run this church, basically. I'm uncomfortable in sharing some of that, but I give all glory to God because it's a miracle that I'm here doing what I'm doing. No one person can do the position that I've been put in. I have lots of help, and I'm looking at many faces out there that are my help. As we talk today, we're going to explore one ministry area that has been um, talked about by the leadership, and it's prayer and care. And when we get to our scripture reading today in Acts 4, I hope that we can pick up some on those things. Now, as a result of conversations that Fred and Garrett and the leadership and I have had, we were kind of unsure as to, do we want to continue calling ourselves by the position names that we were given? Associate minister. Just think about it, Dave, Fred says. Just think about it. He says, I think you need to share with the people what you do so that they understand, and Garrett similarly. So we are continuing on our conversation, which is formerly your sermon notes page, of being joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. And that involves each and every one of us. It's interesting to me that after having that conversation with Fred and Garrett some months ago about job titles, so to speak. In the Christian Standard this week, there's an article, and I'll just read you an excerpt from it. A few years ago, Fast Company magazine printed a popular recurring feature called Job Titles of the Future. The magazine discovered ordinary people uh, without of the ordinary job titles. Here's a sampling of some of those real titles. CEO of Love, Chief Imagination Officer, Chief in Inspiration Officer, 
content guy, director of bringing in the cool people, director of emerging thought, director of first impressions, director of fun, director of great people, director of the internet evangelism, the director, I'm sorry, director of the internet and evangelist minister of comedy. Minister of Order and Reason, Reality Facilitator, Slave Boy, Top Motor Mouth, Vice President of Happiness, and Vice President of Talent. Some of those you might have heard before, maybe you have that title, or maybe you just operate out of that title. We've experienced a lot of language change, and we're going to continue to do that here in this fellowship as we reach out to a culture so that they can identify with our methods of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Not changing the message. Let's keep that in mind over and over. We don't want to change the message. There's no improvement. There's no addition or subtraction from the Word of God. But, Methods that are used to reach others can be incorporated and maintaining the integrity of the message. I like a lot of the stuff that Fred says. But theology matters, I've heard him say over and over. And that reinforces our commitment to God's Word and to living it out, in my opinion. Let's just stop a minute here for some prayer. Lord, I just come before you and thank you for an opportunity to share with the fellowship some of the things that you have done for me and through me, and also as we continue to look at what you have provided for us as a fellowship in the past and continue to use to reach others for your sake. Lord, we ask that you speak to us through your Holy Spirit in this passage today, that then it might become real, and that you might continue to use us to join you in pursuit of restoring lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4, but in so doing, I note that I have to begin by just kind of giving you uh, an overview of what happened beginning in Acts chapter 3, because it leads us to the point of Scripture that we're going to uh, look at today. In Acts chapter 3, it tells us that Peter and John were going up to the temple. They run across a man at this uh, pool who's been a beggar, and uh, he's lame. And he asks basically for them to look upon him with favor favor, and throw a few coins at him. But uh, Peter answers him, I don't have any money. I don't possess riches, silver and gold. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. The name of Jesus Christ is, is just going to exhilarate people, and it's also going to offend people. We've seen that promised uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament through many scriptures. And yet the context of what we're looking at today is the throwing down of the sword that divides people. Because when we say Jesus Christ, and hopefully when we live him out in our lives, that will draw The Holy Spirit can draw people to himself. Well, obviously people seeing this miracle were uplifted and they were uh, giving glory to God, it tells us. Um, But 
while this was going on, Peter took that opportunity to be able to share with the people that witnessed this event and that the crowd that was gathering what is called his second sermon. But it's all centralized on the fact that God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. His only Son, Deity, Jesus the Son. And yet, through burial, through resurrection, through ascension, Jesus reclaims and assumes his original place next to God the Father. This is going to put people off. And in fact, ends up putting Peter and John in jail. So while this is known, we know that the disciples and those followers of Christ that had joined the body of believers, the congregation, the church at that time, were praying that these men would be taken care of in a proper way and released so that they might continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a a given as we look in verse 23 in a minute. But first of all, dealing with the leaders of the temple, the Sanhedrin. When Peter and John come before them, they decide, okay, we, we will release you, but you cannot go on preaching Jesus Christ. You cannot go on speaking his name. But Peter and John in verse 19 say, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you or rather to God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They still were released, but they let the leaders know that you can release us, but we cannot stop talking about what we know and what we've seen and what we've heard. In verse 23, it says, When they had been released, they went to their own companions, back to the disciples, back to the fellowship of believers, and shared all the things that had happened. And that's important for us to know because we have to assume that these folks were praying for the disciples, uh, Peter and John, and that they needed to know what had happened so that as they begin their prayer and their worship time with Peter and John to God, that they can pray in proper fashion. And I find their prayer here very interesting. And I would like to read the verses 24 through the first part of 29. Begins with a prayer of praise, and hopefully all of our prayers do that. But I think this is unique to the situation. Look how they share with us. When they heard what was reported by Peter and John, they lift their voices together to God, and with one accord said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, and he quotes from the Psalms, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. They begin by acknowledging God as the creator and owner of all. What a great place to begin to come to God and to acclaim to Him 
how we see him operating in this world. As the almighty and knowing one in verse 28, the one from whom nothing is hidden, and the one God who has no one else above him. And and following in verse 29, as the deliverer and empowering one. And they acknowledge God in this. They express their view to God in lieu of the fact of what they want to ask him. They could have gone on and on and quoted other scriptures. They could have called him by names, uh, by the names that he has in Hebrew. But specifically to the situation, they express themselves. And we ask, when we come to prayer and praise to him, that we express myself, yourself, to God. The latter part of verse 29 and then verse 30 talk about the request itself. And this is in view of the events that Peter and John had experienced. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Be specific in your prayer request, in the prayers that you have. What do you want God to do for you as you pray to him today or at this particular time? They wanted to continue to be able to speak the word with confidence, that they wouldn't worry that there were those who were out to take their lives or put them back in prison, that they might have freedom to speak in the marketplace, freedom to speak as they go to the temple, and also that the Lord would show himself in the way that he had begun through the Holy Spirit's working in their lives with healings, signs, and wonders. Not that we dictate to the Lord what we want him to do when he wants to do it, but that the Lord would work through his Spirit in our life to touch other lives for him. Be specific is the request. And then in verse 31, we see the answer given. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. It's important for us to recognize God's reply when we do get an answer. In this particular instance, it appears to be immediate. When they had finished their prayer, the place that they were gathered in was shaken. That's an external sign. Now, granted, this is not a prescription for every way, every time that God answers, are we going to see this manifestation? But maybe we don't see it if we're not looking for it. We talk about a still small voice. Are there other things that we can see God in and yet when we're not looking for him, we just kind of bypass it? Internal sign was the filling of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt so close to God that God is just rising up within you? Maybe you were singing a song. Maybe you were praying. Maybe you were reading God's Word or meditating. 
or studying God's Word. Or maybe you recognize it in someone who was encouraging you or uplifting you. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit is when we recognize God's moving within us. And in this particular case, we see an external proof in direct answer to their prayers. They were able to speak the Word of God with boldness. They weren't timid about it. They, weren't, they were sharing with one another the confidence that they would have not only with each other, but that they could leave that place and that they could share with their neighbors in a continued fashion what Jesus Christ had done for them. Prayer is going to be an ongoing thing for the life of this church. And Fred has said that that was one of the things that drew him and Allison to this church because of the interest and zeal for prayer. Yes, we had a wonderful concert of prayer service uh, last Sunday afternoon. And you know what? Going in, we didn't know what to expect. We just knew that the Lord was going to show up and that whoever showed up lives would be blessed. To me, that was the beginning of an intergenerational connection that we hope will continue to grow with our teens and our seniors and our teens and families and our teens and individuals of all age. And we continue to look forward to the opportunity at the end of this month when we will have our children participate in the same way and that you will all help to minister in raising these kids up in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the pastoral work that I do, when people ask me uh, on the street, well, what do you do? I say, well, I'm the associate minister at Williamsburg Christian Church. I'm basically in charge or coordinate pastoral care and the administration of the church, the business of the church. Usually the administration and the business, they understand. Some, you know, I had a person ask me last week who I've known as an acquaintance over the years, and he said, pastoral, uh, what does that mean? And I explained to him. I said, oh, I go to the hospital and visit people. I go to their homes and these type of things. And he says, oh, is that what they call that? So you'll notice that language is changing here, and language is changing for a good thing. You know, when we speak to one another, we can, we can throw out the big, big words like refrigerator mayonnaise, right? Where's Tom? Yeah. But speaking, God wants us to communicate with one another in a way that we understand and communicate the gospel in a way that everyone understands. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at how he communicated with people. Well, let's begin by looking at care about loving God. Um, I think that in this prayer of praise, we, if we express ourselves to God, if the apostles certainly did in the way that they viewed God, we see in the circle of love God that there are many ways that we are already showing God in a communicative way how we are enjoined with Him in uh, His pursuit of restoring lives. These are things that hopefully we're already doing. And yet this is important because this is where it starts. 
this conversation with God back and forth for our devotional, for our worship gatherings, all these groups that are listed here. Remember, these circles are three, but they fit together in that sweet spot. So we're going to see a lot of overlap. And we're going to see that in loving God, we want to be able to acknowledge, first of all, who He is to us. Acknowledge who He is to you in your life and what He has done for you and with you. Secondly, the second uh, circle that Fred shared about loving people hits us in a, in a number of areas that we are all, all enjoying when we're looking from the inside uh, to one another. I noticed that uh, the time where you got to introduce yourselves to some newer folks was also part of the time that you got to greet maybe people you didn't catch on the way in. We enjoy that. We enjoy getting together and for fellowship meals and for the groups that we have. A language change that you might have noticed is um, in your new bulletin in our small groups, life connect- connection groups. Um, the Christian standard for this week concentrates on a number of articles about small groups. But life connection groups are a neat way of describing to others who may not be part of it what goes on. Just a little bit of what goes on in LCE and our small groups is receiving care when needed. I'm quoting this from that article in the standard. A great benefit of uh, these groups is the care that attendees receive when people are in a relationship as brothers and sisters and when love is the foundation of their relationships people take care of each other whether it be meals during sickness or after childbirth hospital visits or other personal needs people experience the group will come to the aid of those in need and it is the most effective benevolent ministry and yet requires very little administration since each group takes care of its own. You know, it's real nice to have friends in this fellowship. And if you're friends that are in this fellowship, or a number of them are in a life connection group, then you know exactly what we're talking about. Hopefully, nobody gets left out. Hopefully, people's needs are met. Hopefully, people don't fall through the cracks. If you just come on Sunday morning and you're not plugged in with a group, we want to address your need, but we may not know about your need. You have to be part of this fellowship in a way that encourages, uplifts, and lets other people know about what needs there are here. When we look at uh, verses 32 and then, uh, excuse me, verse 34 and 35, I'm going to look at first, then I'll go back to 32. We find here in this setting, for there was not a needy person among them. All those who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring them the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Boy, that's mighty unselfish. And every need was met. I don't know if I'm willing to, right now, go sell my house 
bring all the proceeds to the leadership and say, well, here it is. Uh, take care of all the needs in the church, and I guess you've got to start with me. Could you just give me a, uh, maybe a bathroom and a shower in my, in my, in my office downstairs? <laughs> I don't know where Karen's going. And we don't really know the intrinsic details of what was happening here. We, we are given a, a specific uh, example later on that we're, we're not going to go look through that in uh, verse 36 and 37. But the fact is, the attitude behind this, and in verse 32, it said that the congregation there who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but that all things were common property to all of them. That is really unselfish. They were unselfish in their sharing. Another thing is when they brought the things to the leadership for distribution, they didn't say, now I want you to give these things to everybody but this person because I don't like them. <laughs> or they talk mean to me. They weren't selective. They were totally sacrificial in their unselfishness. Living out the example of Jesus, who said, if you have two cloaks, give one to a person that doesn't have it. If you need toothpaste this week, buy two tubes, one for you and one for needy folks at Grove. Very scriptural, the things that are examples for us to do and be involved with. But I think that it all comes from the first part of the 32nd verse, that they, all the believers there were of one heart and soul. We need to be unified in heart and soul. That's a difficult thing. Jesus knew how difficult it was going to be. In John 17, his priestly prayer throughout that chapter, before he goes to the cross, he prays basically for one main idea, and that's the unity of the disciples, of the followers of his church, that they would all be unified. We see so many divisions and schisms in the church of Christ today. And yet, if we would work together, how much more can we accomplish? To be unified in heart and soul. Heart, the things that we believe, soul that we act upon the things that we believe. And thirdly, follow Jesus. The circle that we have in moving out into the community is, begins in this particular fellowship itself. A number of years ago, we identified the fact that we were very strong, we thought, in an internal focus, but had quite a bit desired in the focus on externally focused things. What are some of the things that we are showing that we are the church of Christ? They're mentioned here. And yet, it appears that there are greater things that the Lord wants to do through us, even utilizing some of the organizations that we are supporting with our time and effort, resources. I think we can take a cue from these disciples, the early ones in the church, 
In verse 31, uh, we already read this, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. We've been given a great gift. We claim the gift for ourselves that only by the name of Jesus is salvation, the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ available. Why do we not speak the Word of God with boldness? These men were thrown in jail for speaking the Word of God with boldness. And the disciples prayed that they might have that opportunity again. And that they themselves would have that opportunity to speak to their friends and their neighbors and their co-workers and anyone that God brought across their path. But not just speaking the Word with God with boldness, but giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 33, it says, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Giving the message of salvation, what sets us apart? What's our God have that no other God has? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one who offered himself as a sacrifice and yet defeated death and assures us the hope of eternity. And finally, to live out the testimony that we give as the resurrection of Jesus. That's caring for one another. That's caring for others who haven't come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. About a year and a half ago, I was challenged by the fact as we were moving out into community outreach and doing these good things that I had to do a little bit more on the evangelistic side. I said, what, what can I do? You know, ministers just don't seem to have many unsaved friends. So instead of waiting for them to come to us, we have to go to them. And I had a friend named David Deal who uh, would go over to Hardy's every morning. And uh, as a result of going over there with him, a couple mornings I got to meet some people who were Christians. And some people that weren't Christians. And some people that even knew Dave Heat. He's wondering, who's that? Gave me an opportunity as I listened to their life stories and their experiences. They would reciprocate and say, well, what do you do? And I got to share various ways what the Lord has done with my life to bring me to this point. Now what God does with that, I know is, is God's business. But my business is to be about what God wants me to share with other people. Sometimes we've got to think outside the box. You know, I almost put up, uh, I had the idea of rather than have the three circles, have the squares because I feel like I'm coming out of some of the, the squares here. I have to think out of the box. But I think we already understand that living in those three circles, loving God, loving people, and following Jesus is where we want to be as a vision for this church. Eleven years ago, it was very exciting for me to be able to join 
in a, in a work at that particular time. And right now, these are really exciting times again. We've had many good people come and go from our fellowship. But God is still here. God will be here. And Jesus Christ, whom we serve, gives us that opportunity. As we close this morning, I'm uplifted and edified by the way that the disciples prayed, very specific to that situation. We're going to have other opportunities that are going to come to us, hopefully around our extravaganza outreach, that we could gather here in this building and pray that God will use this outreach opportunity to draw people to himself that know nothing about him. We have opportunity, each one of us, with people that you are uniquely gifted to reach for Jesus Christ. You know, Rick Warren, when we studied uh, the Purpose Driven Life book, the one quote that I remember coming out of that was, People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's true. If you've done it, if you've shared the gospel with people by helping them in a real way, you know that's true. We need to replicate that over and over by letting the Holy Spirit flow right through us to do that.